This is the Above Average Podcast and you are listening because you want an above average life. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Above Average Podcast, the podcast where we talk to above average people about their above average lives. Now, you may hear that my voice is a little bit bunged up, as is uh, the voice of my guest today. Um, so enjoy the sniffles, enjoy the coughs, uh, but we're going to bring you some valuable content today. My guest today is Ree Pearson, a former police officer uh, turned speaker and author, and something else which we'll dive into as well. But Ree, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Adam. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, Ree, my first question is, obviously, I just want to get a little bit about who you are and what you currently do. So can you just give us a brief overview of what you currently do? I have an accidental business, really. Um, I I was a police officer. I retired in 2015 through ill health. And I've been in business ever since because I'm not the kind of person who does nothing. Right. Um, not even should you when, be. Even when I was not really very well, I still was doing stuff. And, of course, we had the pandemic where everybody went into lockdown. And I was in a business network with lots of lovely people with lots of very different businesses. And so we'd gone from meeting once a month in the network two on uh, that zoom thing that zoom thing yeah so, you know the strap line for 2020 is you're on mute isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so we had this these lovely people in the network and and they were rightly they were very stressed they were very anxious about what the future was going to have for their businesses we couldn't have contact with anybody you know we have people who have cafes and shops they were all closed their staff were being furloughed and it was a very uncertain time because we didn't know what was going to happen And I thought, well, during this meeting, I'm going to have to do something positive here. And I said, you know, like, let's think about what we can do in this unknown time. You know, you've all got a couple of hours a day where you're not traveling to or from where your business is. What are you going to do in that time that you've now got? And they were saying, well, I'm going to, I've always wanted to learn how to do watercolour, so I'll do some YouTube. Or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've got a book in the back of my mind Mm. that has been sitting there for about 15 years. And I'm going to start writing this book. And really, I only said that just to make them feel better. I had absolutely (laughs) no intention of doing it. But you know what it's like with people in business that we are the worst accountability buddies. Mm. They will not let you get away with anything. No. When you're a self-employed person, it's like, well, you said you were going to do this, so do it. So, of course, a month later, I'm back on the Zoom call with the same network. And they said, how's your boot coming along? And I was like, oh, well, it's not. I haven't started. And they were like, well, you've got to. That's a great idea. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And, of course, they had been speaking to other people. And eventually, I started to get messages from women because my idea for the book was gather some true stories because I believe when people read stories it's easier for them to remember things than it is for them to remember statistics yeah and the book's intended for teenage girls and I didn't want to spout statistics at them one because it's really scary and two it's also really boring if you're 14 reading about stats so I started getting messages from ladies who had been through abusive relationships saying please will you tell my story in your book Mm. And, of course, I didn't have any choice then, did I? No, I you kind of committed at that point, aren't you? I had, to, I had to do it. But start getting emails from people saying, I've heard you're writing a book. And I was like, oh, well, bloody hell, I'm going to have to do it now. Yeah. So that's how Be Kind, No Excuses was born. And once it was published, um, people were coming to me saying, can you help me with this? So I have a, a, 
an unplanned business essentially yeah. but the book the book gives you authority as well like there's no greater authority than oh i'm an author i have a book like i know what i'm talking about so confidently that i can put it into words and you can read it so well i just thought that because in my previous job as a police officer we were constantly working um with people who were because you don't end a relationship because it's abusive and nor is it the police's place to expect people to end the relationship that is down to the people in the relationship the person who's a victim and to be fair leaving a relationship that's abusive is the most dangerous time for you as a victim anyway Mm -hmm. so it's a very risky thing i think what i wanted to do was i wanted to prevent it happening happening in the first place Mm -hmm. because i can see right at the beginning of a relationship like if you read the stories in the book the the abuse is there right at the beginning you do not get into a relationship that becomes abusive you get into a relationship with somebody who is going to abuse you right but you don't realize that because at the beginning you do not know what you're looking for mm. you do not see that abuse because it presents as caring whereas really it's controlling yeah well, and p- pulling that apart at the beginning is something that I'm trying to make people aware of. So this this behaviour might present itself as caring, but really think about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Don't just go like booling in. And people get into relationships really quickly as well. They do, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with diving into relationships. I know I've talked with people before about everyone's got a fascination with when they break up with someone they go oh they're a narcissist and and they throw these words around and they don't really know what that means like I've, I've talked to a lot of people who say well i can i know someone's a narcissist just by meeting them and it's like you don't because the whole point of a narcissist is you're not going to know straight away that's why people when you get into these abusive relationships and you and people go oh well he was so nice i can't believe you would do something like that and it's like yeah because it's hidden the whole point is you're not supposed to know that until six months down the line when you're stuck and you're in a horrible place. Exactly. People don't know it at the beginning, but on reflection, when it's finished, if they get out of it, they look back at it and go, oh, yeah, of course. And that's what I'm trying to teach people. I'm trying to teach them to see it at the beginning. Narcissists are very, very clever. Hmm. And not all abusers are narcissists, but all no. narcissists are abusers, yeah. basically. In some but capacity, yeah. It's a thing. So if you're with somebody at the beginning of that relationship, it's just trying to make people mindful of that behavior because remember, a narcissist doesn't just manipulate and control their victim. They manipulate and control their victim's arena. So their friends, their family, their work colleagues, where they socialize. And this people go, oh, that's a bit extreme. But that's actually a fact. And I can give you actual... If the woman gave me permission, I, I would say, well, look at her, 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 her. This is what's happening to her. And this is happening now. And these these can go on. I, I'm working with a lady who's been in that relationship, been divorced from him uh, 30 years later. And he's actually followed her to, to move to the next village to where she lives, goes into the pubs, the cafes, the restaurants um, where she is. Like, I live probably a 20-minute walk away from my ex-husband we've been divorced nearly 20 years and I think I've probably seen him in that time out and about four times we Mm. live in the same town and that the reason for that is he's not stalking me yeah (laughs) he (laughs) lives there but he's not like going which Tesco's is really going to do exactly but this lady sees her ex-husband practically every time she leaves the house wow 
Can, and this, can this, she move? Is that as, she's as moved? That yeah. She has moved away from. She's moved eighty miles away from where they were married and lived, and he's moved to be near there. Is, is it just? Is it a case of he's always just there, or does he contact her, or he, is it just a, a? He he is just always there. Wow. Scary. It but is. this is not an unusual story. No. People see their exes. Being the, one of the reasons I did this is because. I want to prevent people getting into that relationship because when you've come through an abusive relationship and that relationship ends, and I put the word ends in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. it doesn't end because they will continue to abuse you. And I know so many women who are divorced. I know some men as well, but they're, they're divorced and that abuse continues, especially and made easier if you have children together. Because mm. you kind of tied then a little bit. There's more of There's a There's always going to be a relationship between yeah. you because you have the, the the connection of the children. Yeah. So stopping it in the first place is what I want to teach people. I want to teach people to see what the red flags look like. Mm. And people go, oh, God, she's extreme. I'm not extreme. This is real life. Yeah, there's, there's way more to human behavior than people think, 100%. Totally. 100%. So I want to take you back to uh, your time as a police officer, first of all. Um, I'm already saying it was, what, 27 years you were a police 27 officer? 27 years. 27 Unfortunately, years. didn't get the 30 in because I got ill and I had to retire. Mm-hmm. So how did the... Excuse me. So I know the signing process. Um, I saw you speak uh, in Newcastle. Obviously, I know the signing process, but I'm curious, can you tell that story again about how you ended up signing up to be a police officer and the story <laughs> yeah. behind it? Yeah, yeah. Right. Once upon a time, many, many years ago, uh, me and my friend Janet, we lived in Gateshead, actually, and I had a job as a quality control person in a factory in Washington. She was working at Tradecraft on the Team Valley, and the Evening Chronicle newspaper used to have a job section every Thursday, and... Our hobby, our hobby was to apply for for jobs just to see what it was like. Um, As you do. And anyway, we would get on a Thursday. I would go to her flat, or she would come to my flat, and we would get a, a couple of bottles of Concord wine. <laughs> Does that even still exist? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. When I think about it now, God, is my stomach lining recovered yet? You know, like you're talking thirty odd years later. Um, so we would look at the job section in the Evening Chronicle, and apply for jobs. Um, just to see what it was like in the place. Like, I applied for a job, and I'm sorry, Northumbria Fine Foods, the manager there, I wasted your time one morning. <laughs> He's just I like, how could you, Ree? How could you, Ree? I apologise, but um, I applied for a job at Northumbria Fine Foods because I wanted to see how they put the chocolate on the end of the finger biscuits, you know, like, there's, like, chocolate on each end. And yeah. I was like, oh, how do they do that? So I applied for the job, I went for the job, they gave me a tour of the factory. I never did see the, the chocolate finger ones. Oh. There was lots of stuff. Um, what was what was his name? Because if he's listening... I can't what, what, remember. Oh, my God. I was take, like 20, if you're listening, you need to take re back around this factory. I was 20, 21, like, at that time. I must have been about 21. Um, so I, I got a tour of the factory. They, they offered me the job. And I had to knock it back, obviously, because... You um, didn't want it. I, <laughs> I would have done it, actually. But I, I joined the police not long after that mm. one. And one of the first jobs I went to was an industrial accident at Northumbria Fine Foods. So I got to go into the factory anyway. 
I do apologise to the manager. It sounds like a good hobby though, because obviously like, there's no, some jobs you think seven. I could. I want to know what goes on in there, but like you aren't going to know until you get the job. But if I you know, but interview... I've, I mean, I've just driven around here and I'm like, oh look, there's a little place that does this and a little place that does that, and so many people are doing things that I don't even know what are things. I love the curiosity of so that. So I'm though. learning all the time. Yeah. I'm 57, and I'm like, oh, that's a thing. I didn't know that, and it's like I just find life fascinating. Yeah, people are just so weird and wonderful it was like have you have you seen the the uh, a random tangent have you seen the movie cocktail with tom cruise yeah i have yeah do you remember i think there's a bit where they're talking uh him and elizabeth shoe and they're talking about the the bits on the end of shoelaces oh no I and so uh, is it that, it it's either that or it's like they talk about the bit on the end of shoelaces it's like someone name. makes that yeah it does but it's like how did you make that where did that come from are there like cocktail umbrellas there's someone making millions from yeah, cocktail yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that, that is fascinating uh, in a weird side tangent isn't it? Yeah. it is yeah. yeah but like people if you look around you're like loads of things and you think wow that's actually a thing I find that amazing but back to the job thing I was on a bus coming back one Friday I lived in Bensham Bensham on a Friday afternoon in July it was really warm sunny very busy because it's going to be the beginning of the Sabbath um, on Friday night and there was a police car parked on WLR lines outside a bakery shop the bakehouse on Coatsworth Road and I used to go in there all the time and thank you to the ladies in there for keeping me alive on early shift when I was in the police they used to feed me That's nice but I, the, the, the panda car was parked outside of the, the bakery and two female police officers came out and they were wearing back then police officers wore white shirts with epaulets and ties old school mm-hmm and uh, lots of ironing no longer required um so they they came out and they obviously holding lots of pies and cakes or whatever it was they were holding coming out of this bakery and they were laughing they were laughing a lot it was just like they look like having such a good time and i was like i can do that for a living yeah i can laugh like that and eat pies yeah eat pies (laughs) and cake all day long and actually that following week on the thursday in the evening chronicle newspaper was a job advert for Northumbria Police. And I was like, oh, well, this is fate. Yeah. This has got to be. So I applied. And that was in the July. The process then um, was very slow. It took a year. It took a year to get in. I think what had happened was, of course, they obviously, depending on government funding, hmm. depends on how much recruiting they do. And they weren't doing very much recruiting in 1988. Yeah. So I was in a cohort of, I think, about 12. And I joined in the September of 88. And nice. laughed a lot and cried a lot. But it was more, more laughing than crying, really. Amazing. I actually, I, I don't know what I told you this last time, but I applied to be a police officer once. Or a, um, what are they called? Community support officers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once. So I went, I got through the interview stage. Uh, I bought the books, did the research, passed the application stage, which apparently like 79% or something fail. So I was like, yes. Uh, went to the big scary police HQ. Uh, sat uh, opposite some guy with loads of medals on his, oh, on his thing, like some <laughs> some chief guy, um, and then someone that was going to do the job that I was going to do. And uh, I remember just I was just like, I am not prepared for this at all. I think I was like eighteen, so I was like, yeah. part of me was like, I'm not going to get in. I'm too young, but they've, they've seen me anyway. Um, and in the book, it actually said there was a trick that if, when you're in these interviews with the police, they give you water. So that mid-question, take a sip so you've got time to think, so you don't sure. just go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, that's when I learned that tip. I was like, ah, I'm going to use that. So I was like, I'll have some water, please. Yeah, sound. Um, obviously, I didn't get it. Um, I never. He said try again in six months. I was like, I, I don't know. I, might, I found other stuff in that time. But it's interesting that uh, 
to speak to someone who was also wanted to do that. And obviously you, you passed, you got through. I well, um, there you go. I think it was one of those um, positive discrimination situations because there were very few female officers mm. in, the, in the 80s. Things had changed. Um, it used to be that male officers and female officers have very different roles. Yeah. And then they pulled it all together. Uh, and I, when I joined my shift, there were 20 odd people on the shift. Uh, and there was me and another female police officer. Not uh, many so, of you. So not many at all. No. And we just used to muck in with the lads. In fact, when I joined, uh, you were given skirts to wear. I can't imagine a police officer in skirts. Well, it was a, a white shirt skirt we had grand on shoes which were shiny <laughs> shiny shiny lace-up shoes that you nice. would wear for marching you know because you used to do that marching thing as well oh yeah yeah of course around the parade yeah. around the parade ground when you when you were at training school but yes yeah, skirts and um it was me and a girl called shelly we were like i mean you're chasing burglars in the middle of the night i ended up upside down stuck on a fence with me backside hanging out on benjamin road do you know what i mean wow and i was like i need a pair of trousers i, I think i missed I that episode of crime watch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's like it was ridiculous really well that was that was my next question was there anything obviously there's some things you're allowed to talk about some things you're not allowed to talk about um was there anything that in your experience as a police officer that really shocked you that you think would shock other people things that maybe someone's not aware of things that go on that you're like oh yeah this happens like obviously we talked about the amount of domestic abuse things and we'll get into that uh later on but i'm just curious was there anything that really shocked you as your time with your time as a police officer mostly what shocks me is everything Hmm. because if anybody's negative towards another person uh, or or an animal i'm i'm never going to not be shocked by that yeah um some some child protection stuff i'd be like how the hell how the hell how the hell does somebody get into the mindset where they could be so horrible to their children i remember a particular one um it was a a big family um the eldest child was probably about nine and i think there were seven kids in the family and the parents were not coping very well Mm. but the emotional burden of that entire family was on that little boy the, the, the parents' mindset was everything that goes wrong in our lives is his fault because we had him and it's therefore his fault. That's how you mess up a child, though. That is oh, a he was, yeah, massively traumatised. And it, it wasn't physical abuse at all. Just all that emotional, mental... Just that emotional, mental... the, the, the strain of, of the responsibility of siblings. Yeah. It, um, it's disgusting. Like, I, I've known people who have had parents who blame them for everything and just look at them with just disgust and I'm just like how do you do that like I'm such a soft shite right like if there's yeah. if a baby smiles at me I'll remember it for like three weeks afterwards yeah, I remember yeah. that baby smiled at me I could, I, there's no way I could do that to any human not just a child or, or like yeah. even like a dog or a cat I'm just like I'm just such a softy like it, it shocks me that people do that though it yeah. really does I think there's a sense of entitlement there somewhere where people can treat other people in such an appalling way and think that it's okay. And I I think if anybody's not shocked by it, they're in the wrong job. Yeah. You have to have an element of like, what the fuck? Hmm. Inside yeah. of you? Yeah. Well, I've, I've spoken to people about um, military service and things like that. And uh, obviously you get these... So when we, say, when we say terms like psychopath or sociopath and things like that, you tend to find a lot of them gravitate towards the military and stuff because obviously um, in a sort of evolutionary way, 
psychopaths existed because you needed someone to go into a caveman tribe and kill people without having nightmares about it yeah, yeah. like is is there a sense obviously you get that in the military because you're doing such you know at times awful work was there any sort of of that in the police that you saw or were people sort of more normal in in sort of that area did they did you notice people that were like you know there was something wrong with them like why are they in the police or, or did you feel that everyone there had a sense of empathy i think everybody had a sense of empathy i on the whole everybody i worked with was very professional i could pick out a couple of guys who were just dicks yeah but there would have been dicks if they'd been a bus driver if they'd been a surgeon if they'd been whatever job they would still be a dick yeah (laughs) no matter where you go you're a dick but i always i always found a a real high level of professionalism a real high level of empathy and also a very strong sense of bringing people to justice for for the people who've been victimized yeah. So it's important to recognise that victims want to be believed. And I think one of the things that I work certainly in the in the sphere of domestic abuse, peop, how people talk, the language that they use is very important. Mm. Because, as you said earlier, people say things like, oh, but he's such a canny lad. Yeah. To, when, when you say that to a victim about their abuser, that victim hears, you don't believe me. Yeah. And I think we need to look at that mm-hmm. in what? terms of what we're saying. Yeah. I have a friend who's a hairdresser who's come out of a very abusive marriage. She's been cutting a lady's hair, the same lady, for 20 years. And that lady said to her a couple of months ago, oh, I just can't believe he would do that. He's just so nice. Yeah. And that really affected my friend because what she heard was, this lady who I've been kind to for 20 years doesn't believe me. Yeah. It's it's funny. I, um, I had a friend, obviously, we're not naming names or anything like that, but I had a friend who we went out to the comedy club together um, and her boyfriend, you know, he was he was so nice. Like, he, he you know, he, he would have a laugh and I met him a few times and he was one of them guys that you can have a drink with and it, was, it would be a fun night. Um, and then she came to me uh, a few months later, and was like, "Yeah, he he, um, he would didn't take no for an answer one yeah. time, um, so we're not together anymore." And I I don't know whether I said like, "Oh, he's such a nice guy," or whatever. Or yeah. I don't understand kind of thing. Like, because it is hard for you on the outside to accept, unless you're in that world, unless you understand it properly. It is hard for you to go, "Well, how?" Because it's two opposite sides, isn't it? Like you see, like it's hard for people to see that. But you know. I believed her straight away. I was like, if you tell me that's what happened, yeah. that's what happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not the kind of person that would just go around making that up. Which obviously happens very rarely that men get, like, set. Like, I've had a friend who it happened to where the police came and arrested him because he broke up with a girl and she claimed that he yeah. he raped her and, it was, and he was like, no, it was just like, yeah. she was she was too much for me. I couldn't handle it. I broke up with her. So that's what happened. And obviously, it didn't go any further. But it's just, when you when you hear these stories and, you, and like, about abuse victims not being heard and stuff like that obviously the work you do now you want people to be heard and that was the whole point of the book isn't it so can you tell me about the what is the book made up of primarily okay can i just go back a little bit yeah go for it yeah of course (laughs) um what i was going to say is that the guy who who raped your friend Mm -hmm. is a piece of shit he's a piece (laughs) of shit and he but he like i said earlier he's manipulating everybody around him yeah and what we 
struggle with as humans is ego. Mm-hmm. We don't like to think that we're being manipulated. We don't like to be wrong, yeah. So we don't like to think that we were wrong about that person. Yeah. And that is a is another barrier for victim disclosing. So that's one thing. Yeah. And the other thing I can't remember now, sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I broke the trail. Of the, that's the problem with these conversations is sometimes it goes... Yeah, it'll, it come, goes on it'll come back. I'll come back, you'll be like, ah, back. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go back to the question. Uh, so yeah, what is the, 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 the book primarily made up of so obviously the the book is five true stories that were given to me by five very strong very amazing very brave women Um, lots of women came to me to say can you please tell my story because victims essentially want to be heard yeah and you go through the court process if you ever get that far which is very very tiny percentage the victim just wants to be heard they don't necessarily um really care about the conviction Hmm. They just want to be heard yeah. and believed. And also remember that just if somebody goes to court and they're found not guilty, it doesn't mean they didn't do it. It just means that it wasn't proven, Yeah, which is two very, very different things. Yeah, yeah 100%. So how did you pick the five stories? Um, because um, some of the women said they, they came to me and said, can, you, can, you, can I tell my story? And I said, yes. And then they started writing. And then I said, to, but I said to them, you're going to find this really hard. Because you're going to have to pull up old emotions. Yeah. And it is really difficult. So a few of them said, I've started, but I can't. I'm not there yet. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. A couple of them were um, about forced marriage. Mm-hmm. They're not in there because it's too dangerous. Because they're still identifiable, even though they've been right. anonymized. Okay, yeah, I get Because you. the circumstances make them identifiable, so I couldn't do it. The lady that wrote to me about cruelty to animals, because there is a direct correlation between cruelty to animals and domestic abuse. Yeah. So if you know anybody who's a child who started pulling the wings off flies, that child (laughs) needs to be in therapy. Yeah. That child needs help before it, because they start small. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, that's we we watched the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. I didn't. I can't. Yeah, it's 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 a hard watch for a lot of people and that's how he started as well like obviously you know we're talking about abuse here not you know killing people but um yeah that's how he started taxidermy or taxidermy quotes in there but really he just wanted to he was just messed up so i agree with you 100 there. they need help when they're children if that's how they're presenting yeah 100 percent. um so the stories came by a process of elimination really Mm -hmm. but um, of the five, four of them started their relationships as teenagers. Hmm. Interesting. How they do you think that changed the relationship dynamic if they started as teenagers? Well, the book was written primarily with teenagers in mind because I thought well, if I can get to teenagers and teach them, raise their awareness. But then when it was published, turns out big girls don't know what the red flags look like either. Mm-hmm. So now my customer base, if you like, is adults females who have been through traumatic relationships and who don't trust themselves enough to to be in another relationship because yeah. their their reactions and their emotions of being screwed over by an abuser who's basically minimized their entitlement to feel anything at all yeah yeah so you you spoke earlier about the the scariest time to to leave a relationship the the, the most was the most dangerous time for separation yeah, yeah yeah i totally botched that question but yeah so can you explain how that how that works well we 
years years ago we, there was um, some research done onto 50 domestic homicides and those homicides were analysed and um, the, if you look at Instagram the crime analyst she's called Laura Richards look that up. she was part of that um, working party and we looked at what the commonalities were in the 50 domestic homicides and that evolved into what was called the DASH process which is um, basically a form that professionals fill in when somebody presents as a domestic abuse victim it's called a DASH domestic abuse something something I can't remember but it turns out there are five or six really high risk times separation is the biggie right. you're more likely to die when you've split up that in the first three months you're more likely to be murdered well. when you leave your abuser because like I said earlier when that relationship ends it doesn't necessarily end Yeah. and if you want to have a look at a really terrifying but true book um, Professor Jane Monkton Smith is also a retired police officer and she's written a book about control Interesting. Yeah. and um so yeah, separation is the biggie for danger. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always advise people, you know, seek professional help and plan your exit yeah. with the professionals, with Women's Aid or whoever your local domestic abuse service provider is so you can leave safely. Because you hear a lot of people say, why don't you just leave? And it's like, it ain't that simple. That's really scary, isn't it? Yeah. Why, why don't they just leave? Why don't they leave? Because... Because it doesn't end. You have. Well, it doesn't end, but you also, you live in a house. How many people have got another house to go to? Yeah. It's, if, if you've been manipulated as well, and your family, you know, maybe you haven't got the family, so you've put all your trust in this, this abuser. You know, the isolation maybe you've got a kid to get, Yeah, exactly. Like, where, if you've got no friends and you've been controlled, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Have you, know? you got, like, loads of money in the bank that you have access to? Hmm. That you can go and sort something out. Also, if you have children, are you going to just up and leave them? Yeah. Or well, some women do up and leave them because it's actually safer to leave them. That must because be hard. Because we have what we call wipeouts, don't we? We have where he goes and kills her, kills the kids, probably in front of her before he kills her, and then tries to kill himself and sometimes succeeds, but doesn't normally succeed. Yeah. Um, you can't just take your kids and put them in another school. The trauma that it puts on the kids is absolutely massive. Yeah. So you can't... Why doesn't she just leave? You can't. That's not a thing. Yeah. And again, it's a judgment call by the person who has absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Just as a, as a side note as well, have you... Do you watch anything on, like, the documentaries or shows where they're based around domestic abuse or rape or anything like that? Do you watch anything like that? Sometimes. If they're documentaries, I do. I don't yeah. watch... Um, <laughs> Things like uh, EastEnders and Coronation Street. No, and stuff so like. there's an interesting one actually called Liar on Netflix. Um, and basically the, the premise of that is she um, she's a school teacher um, and she goes on a date with one of her students' parents like that she's met a few times, really nice guy, doctor. Um, and then she wakes up the next morning after the date and she's like, I've been raped. Mm. Um, but the thing is no one believes her. And it was, it was funny because when I knew I was having you on as well, that was what I I, I thought that about that show because I was like, yeah, it's like, it's all piecing together. The more you watch and the more you learn, the more you hear, you start to see these things that 
unless you are aware of them, unless you've been through it or you know someone who's gone through it, you're just not going to know what it's like. You're not going to know how to react or how to respond or what actually goes on. Because it's easy to just say, oh, well, you know, he's a nice guy. Are you sure? Were you not mistaken? It's like people who have, have genuinely been raped, they know do you mean they're not going to be like oh i'm not sure it's like i'm not sure yeah like they know that that's happened yeah and sometimes actually you don't know because yeah well you've been drugged or whatever well well in in the show she is she is drugged but she's uh i don't know what it is i think the drug malfunctions or something and she remembers part of it but it turns out he's done it to like loads of others and filmed it and And it's just thing, isn't it yeah do you start your career as a criminal at the top end I mean you start your career as an abuser pulling the wings off flies Mm -hmm. do you but it just escalates it escalates so do you think that somebody starts as a rapist do they do you start out as a burglar or do you start with shoplifting and learn Mm -hmm. and grow and get better it's because it's almost like um I remember when we were when we were at the speech in Newcastle a, a gentleman asked about porn yeah yeah um so it's like if you imagine uh to if you start watching porn you start off with the basic stuff and then the more you go down that rabbit hole you start getting into more aggressive stuff there's more it just piles on because you need to get that fixed yeah and it's the same thing it's like with with drugs and stuff it's the same escalation you start with you know obviously they say weed's not a gateway drug or whatnot but it could be you know i mean you you go with weed and then and then you start sniffing something then you start injecting something and before you know it you're living in a crack house do you know what I mean? So it, things like that escalate. So you are correct that it's just a, a more fix. You start off shoplifting, then you get more and more, and then you start abusing people, and then it and then it could turn to murder and stuff. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a scary escalation, and I think. Um, I mean, domestic homicide, domestic murders is, is not unusual. We're we're talking like three a week, and that's the ones that are recorded. And I'm talking about in the, I'm talking about England, Wales. Yeah. But globally, it's insane. Globally, it's 30,000. I'd, yeah. I'd say it's probably worse than America. It's got to be. It's got... With guns, you know what I mean? The, the, well, can you imagine, like, the co- the control, okay? If you've got a gun in the house, if your partner, your abusive partner has a gun, yeah. are you going to argue with them? You'd are be you terrified. Are you going to just sit down and shut the fuck up? You'd be terrified. Of course. So if you think about that, and let's like just put that over where we are, Northumberland. People have shotguns. Yeah, it's the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the countryside. It's farmland. They've got shotguns in the house. Are their victims going to report them to the police? No. Of course not. So we're talking about reported incidents being massive, when mm-hmm. actual reality, we're, we're probably talking like a thousand 10,000 times. You can multiply by 10,000. Yeah. You've got to. But looking at murders, the murders are at currently at something like average out of three a week. That's the ones that go down as domestic-related murders. Yeah. Some of them won't get down as domestic-related murders, and some of them will go down as suicide. Mm. So that's your minimum. Three is your minimum. So that's not unusual. I didn't that's know that, but that's terrifying. That's, that's every week. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of dead people and a lot of yeah. orphans, isn't it? Yeah. So one thing, one thing you did as well is when you were, when you were back being a police officer, you started a most wanted board. I did. So <laughs> you 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 yeah. went straight for the source. You were not afraid. So what what was your most wanted board? For those okay. who might not have heard your story. I'll tell you before. how it happened. The it used to be 
Now, we'll go back in time, and obviously legislation's changed. So, you know, you have different levels of assault. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows what an ABH, everybody knows what GBH means. So you used to have, uh, well, you still have what's called common assault, which is if you push somebody, okay, mm-hmm. there's no injury. Now, back then, common assault didn't have a power of arrest. So if you were subjected to a common assault, the police officer didn't have a power to arrest the person who pushed you. Right. So the police were like, we were going to houses and it was a common assault. And we were like, well, what what are we going to do? We would always try and find what I would call, we would use what I would call the Ways and Means Act. Right. Which would be, we would find a way. (laughs) Right. We would find a way of getting this person out of this situation. Usually, back then, we would take the guy to his mother's house. But even then, I was like, well, why should his mother put up with him? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's just another female that he's probably abused as well. Yeah. But this was like early days when I was just learning things. And um, we'd have, each police station would have uh, usually a female police officer who was allocated to contact the victim the following day and say, don't worry, pet, everything's going to be all right, which is really patronising and yeah. utter bullshit. And it was usually the pregnant police woman. Bearing in mind, there weren't that many female officers back then. Anyway, long story short, the female police officer in my police station wasn't very well one day. I walked past that boss's door um, as she had phoned in sick. So he called me in and he said, you're going to do this job. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not bringing people up. This is, I'm not dealing with domestics. It's, I, I didn't have any interest in that yeah. at all. And he said, well, yes, you are. And it was like a little bit argy-bargy backwards and forwards. And I was like, well, you're the chief inspector. I'm just going to do as I'm told. Because literally, <laughs> yeah. you know, the police is a pyramid scheme with the king at the top now. Yeah. Back then it was the queen. Um, so I had to do as I was told. And I, and I said to him, well, what do you want me to do? I'm not ringing people to tell them everything's going to be all right. Because that's nonsense. It's yeah. like, I'm here. I didn't join the police to be pink and fluffy with victims. I joined the police to, to lock up the bad guys, to like arrest people in that. Yeah. And he's like, okay. He said, we have a lot of repeat calls because the, the police do statistics as well. Yeah. Domestic abuse is the most repeat statistic because it's the same people at the same place doing the same thing right. all the time. And we get the same same families. You know who you're on, the, on your patch, if you're like, you know who's going to be ringing in on a Friday, Saturday, whatever. And he says, I want to bring down the repeat calls. Never talked about the safety of anybody or child protection. And the word safeguarding, I don't even think, had been invented. Wow. I don't think it had. I hadn't heard it. And I said, all right then. So I went off and I looked at the statistics and I was like, okay. We have um, these families. Seventy percent of the men involved in this abuse are already known to us yeah. for other stuff. So I said to the boss, "Will you give me a whiteboard?" I put it under the clock, in what was then called the parade room, but it's now a briefing room. Right. Beginning of every shift, the cops that are coming on duty get a briefing. So what's happened? what we're doing, what the plan is for today, and what your job is. You're going there, you're going there, da-da-da-da-da. I've got somebody in the cells, you're interviewing them, whatever. And it gets quite boring, (laughs) and everybody looks at the clock. So I put the whiteboard under Uh, the clock. Clever, yeah. Because I was like, you don't look at your watch, otherwise your sergeant's going to bite your head off, you know. And I put in the top ten perpetrators 
because I wanted to make a perpetrator for because that's what the police are about. Hmm. We had fantastic victim support service at Gateshead at the time. And I loved working with victim support, whose job it was to look after the victim. I was busy looking after the perpetrator and doing the policey thing. It's almost like attacking the cause, not the Totally, which is very much what the book is. Yeah. Um, So top 10 list of, and 70% of them were already committing crime anyway. So I would focus the police officers on the top 10 hit list. Amazing. And take them out for drink driving, just driving while disqualified. There's a burglar. There's a, there's a, that person's on, already on conditional bail. Uh, shouldn't be out between then and then or shouldn't be there. Just, you know, just focus that. That's on your patch. Focus on that person and, and then just got them. And got it them in for other things. And that just took out the equation because it didn't have anything to do with the family. Yeah. And that worked. Incredible. Incredible. So that went, the statistics from um, incidents went, it used to be 30% of incidents resulted in an arrest. Mm-hmm. But actually what happened is it flipped the figure. It became 70% of incidents resulted in an arrest. So a massive change then. Huge. Wow. Huge. So obviously... Off the back of that, you mentioned earlier the seeing the red flags. Yeah. So I want to get your opinion on red flags. So I know you mentioned this in your speech, and it's kind of on the spot, but that's the whole point of a podcast. That's so okay. in terms of red flags in a in a relationship to watch out for of controlling, of potential abuse, um, of anything along those lines, what are some of the red flags that spring to mind that people listening to this, okay. especially women obviously, should look out for? Big, a big one's isolation. So, um, oh, you you don't need to go out with your girlfriends tonight. You've got me now. Mm. Or he meets your friends and then he decides that uh, he's going to tell you that your best friend made a pass at him. Mm. Or I don't think your mum likes me. Do we have to go around there on Sunday? Interesting, yeah. So, so th- something that could be hidden behind an insecurity, that last one, isn't it? Like, oh, I'm scared of your mum kind of thing, but yeah. it's... It's isolation, and eventually yeah. you stop going out with your mates, and then your mates stop asking you. Mm. So isolation's a biggie. Isolation is a big, big risk factor in murders. And if you're the kind of woman who says, "Oh, I don't need girlfriends," you're doing his fucking job for him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a biggie. Um, just generally making a joke at your expense. Right, like a like backhanded stuff. Like a backhanded maybe? joke. Right. So, it, it, oh, it was only a joke. So basically, that that cuts away, that chips away at your self esteem. Hmm. Um, I don't normally go for big girls, but I quite fancy you. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know I mean? Right. Yeah. Chip, yeah. chip, chip. Oh, your hair would be nice. I liked your hair before. Um, I like your hair, but I preferred if it was long. And then it's in behind. I was only saying. Like and it was, was only an say, opinion. Yeah. And if you if you if he cracks a joke at your expense and then says, "But it was only a joke," and then you say, "Well, I'm not laughing," and he said, then says, "You've got no sense of humour." Yeah. I would say, well, just say to him, well, just explain to me why it was funny then. Yeah, you need a better one, mate. And then just fucking run away. Yeah. Because if this is a beginning of a relationship before you've invested any real emotion in it, just run, just fucking leave him for somebody else. Yeah. What I'm doing really is target hardening women. And some men. I have to say that because two men do yeah. get it. Men, it's a different dynamic. But 
if you imagine this, and, and we called it target hunting when I was in the police, you've got two houses. Um, one's got a dog that barks and one hasn't. The burglar walks past, which house is he going to burgle? Yeah, true. Target hardening of women around abuse is basically the woman who's more aware and who meets somebody who then tries to cut away at her self-esteem and her self-confidence will much quick, more quickly tell him to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. So that's that's the kind of things... So do you, do you think that, uh, like that, what do you call it, target hardening? Is that target like? hardening, that's yeah. what I call it. And I, yeah. I guess essentially I like that's it. what yeah. I'm doing. What, so in order to sort of harden to that, is it just a case of becoming more aware or is, it, is there something else to it? Or Just being more aware. So if somebody meets you and suddenly like you've met, you've known them for three weeks and he loves you, I'm in love with you, you're the, you're the woman of my dreams, we've got so much in common. Also that thing about where they um, reflect back, you know, you say you've got into, a lot of people meet, people online mm-hmm. now and you list your interests so they you go out and you meet and he's got the same interests as you what's the chances really <laughs> i mean i met my husband online and my, my favorite band is the bgs now oh. i know that if david had turned around to me and said the bgs are my f- the bgs are my favorite too i would have run away yeah i would have yeah. gone what the you joke and get away from me but it, it's 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 i find that weird when you meet someone as well like because because obviously i've been on dates in the past and stuff and i never want to be that one that was always agreeable i think being always agreeable is a red flag, red flag? And stuff. Yeah, like, totally. oh my god i love that show too I oh my god too. it's like and they, they have so much in common you. they yeah. mirror the mirror what you're doing <coughs> and they have this whole like oh we're twin flames we're meant to be together we're like soulmates and yeah and it's <laughs> nonsense yeah it's it's stop a doing that that fast tracking, fast tracking is another red flag. I love you very quickly. I want you to have my babies. <laughs> well, excuse me, they won't be your babies. They'll be my babies. And you're just, you know, um, the whole me, me, me. It's all like I. Mm. When they use that kind of I, me language, you just shuddered. I did. It's cold in here as well. <laughs> but I know what you mean as well. It was, a, it was, like, a point. I was like, oh. <laughs> but you know that. Well, they, they're like, you know, and and you come away. And also, if you're vulnerable, and I do this in my workshops with the ladies who come on my workshops, let's just be truthful. We are sometimes vulnerable, and a, an abuser can smell vulnerability yeah. at a million miles, and they will target you for that. Accept that you're vulnerable and take a step back. Be vulnerable, but don't get involved with somebody while you're in that vulnerable space Mm. you have friends around you who can support you through your vulnerable periods you don't need to be with somebody but culturally we're kind of oh you should be paired up like you're 28 why you're not married yet why would you be married at 28 i'm like if my son who's 28 came home and said mom i'm getting married (laughs) you're not like let's talk about this first uh, yeah absolutely not happening we'll just no you know, well, it's funny. It's just like pressure, like, yeah. and families put pressure on, and also families aren't honest with each other. That's one of the big things: is we tell our children always tell the truth, um, and not tell lies. Blah blah, and then everything around them is just like lies yeah, and yeah, yeah. horror. Children, children learn by example. They don't listen to your words, hundred percent. Exactly, but they see, they hear one thing, and then they see what's going on in the real world, and it's like trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a hard one with with kids. Obviously, I'm not a parent myself, so I can't really give 
you know, I can't really give much of an opinion on that other than, you know, what I've seen with my own family and stuff like that. But um, I've, I've, I've dealt with parents in the past, not my own, but um, parents in the past where it's like, why is my son so, uh, why is my son not doing much? Why is he not going out there? I want him to be a success. And it's like, what do you what do? do? You do? And it's like, well, I'm just chilling back watching the match or watching strictly on a Saturday. It's like, well, if you're not you doing leave. that, yeah. Children do what you do. Yeah. They literally, there's a video on YouTube about that where the kid's following the mother with a cigarette and then. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. 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 So So, my kids are massively successful, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. They are. Yeah. Yeah. I would would not dispute it. Meeting you, I would not dispute that. They do stuff because I do stuff and sometimes they go, Mum, can you just just stop for a bit? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Sleeps for the week. I'm very much sick after my mom. She's very much a, a, an adventurous person. She loves to do new things and travel places, and and I get that yeah. from her. So it's yeah. amazing. But th- there's a question on my list here. Actually, um, I wonder if uh, you have an answer to it as well. So, what do you think drives somebody to commit abuse, rape, or something of that nature? Is there anything that you would you can think of, or any theories that you might have that would drive someone to do that? Is it obviously we spoke about upbringing there? Do you think there's something because I, I was thinking maybe, obviously I don't know, I just theorizing, desperation and lack of control over their own lives as a man. Desperation in terms of, well, no women seem to like me, so I'm going to take it. Uh, do you think that would be a, a theory a in your massive, opinion? It's a massive, massive question. If you're asking me, um, as a child coming from a violent parent's likely to commit violence Mm -hmm. Um, if that were true then more women would be violent do you think it's more in the men's nature though in terms of the way I think there's a sense of entitlement coming off patriarchy I think men are not encouraged to have soft skills I think being aggressive and led by anger is seen as more valuable than being led by empathy mm. I I do know women who are narcissists but women are less physically abusive generally Yeah, I think men ha- the abusive men have a sense of entitlement have a sense of ownership mm-hmm. um, if they are narcissists they also have a massive um what is the word where they don't feel they're good enough so they project like that onto yeah. that insecurity where they project it onto other people so um, a narcissist will project their what they're doing what they're feeling onto their victim hence um, narcissists are massively unfaithful in intimate relationships they're like right shagabouts but they will accuse their victim of infidelity hmm. when actually they are the ones being unfaithful yeah so where it comes from, essentially, I think it comes from parenting. I think parents need to take a lot more responsibility and have a lot more awareness of what they're yeah. doing around the emotional damage around their kids. But men tend to go, tend to be the abusers yeah. and women tend to be the victims. Yeah, so I saw, I saw a post, I've seen this flying around Facebook and stuff, and you've probably seen it too, where it's fathers teach your sons that rape is wrong or something to those lines, right? I never sat down with my dad and had to be told that rape is wrong. You know it, that. You just yeah. know it. It's just something that you just know, don't you? So yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like that was kind of, you know, 
I don't think that was a useful post. I understood. Don't get me wrong. I understand the the concept of that, but I don't think um, it's a case of educating men not to do it. It's like there's there's something else there that's like okay, what? Where's the cause coming from? Because men know that it's wrong, but they still do it. Yeah. So it's like, where is that? What is it that's at the start of that? Do you know what I mean? Like that's what I'm trying to. My son said, my younger son said to me, "Mum, you can't stop." abusers doing what abusers do because they're going to do it anyway because they don't care when they're doing it yeah they're doing what they want you have to teach victims not to engage with abusers because you have to get into that situation and, and i'm talking domestic abuse i'm talking like in the i'm not talking about on the street mm -hmm. stranger stuff and that obviously does happen and it's horrendous yeah but it's a tiny proportion of the abuse that women suffer i think there's a sense of entitlement based off the back of patriarchy, which has now been around for thousands of years and which is essentially just in your DNA now. Do you mean by patriarchy, like, like male dominance in male society? Male dominance right. in society. I mean, even the car you drive is built for a man. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in what way? The transport just... systems are built for men. The road systems are built with male needs in mind. Everything is built with male needs in mind and women are an afterthought hmm. yeah, I've never thought about that well most men get in the car and drive to work most women get in the car put the kids in the car take the kids to school then drive to work come back go to the supermarket get the kids from the childminder come home men drive home from work hmm. generally okay yeah I can see that so the road systems most women walk or take public transport. I mean, this is like hell on in North Tyneside because they put a cycle route in up Great Lane. <laughs> right. Actually, only 37% of the people who use that road are, are, are driving a car. Mm. The rest of the people are walking or on a bike. But people who are in cars don't think it. Yeah. But the infrastructure is built. Glasgow have just announced um, that they are literally actively putting um, feminine needs, like female needs, and other gender needs into their infrastructure mm. to, to design any building that goes any any work that goes on in Glasgow so it'd be gender neutral nice we'll and but the thing is men lots of men see that as well that's a breach of my rights they don't see feminism as the removal of barriers they see it as putting barriers in their way which it's not it's about removing the barriers to whatever. True, fem to true feminism is, yeah, yeah. But then you've got that you've got that side of the minute that's very much become a part of just everything men do is awful and wrong and stuff like that. And there and is that's that side. That's not helpful because it's we have not. male allies. I mean, I work with a guy, um, and we have. I've got a husband. I've got two sons. Yeah. I've got four brothers. They're not abusive. They're my allies. They work with me. They have wonderful marriages and. Yeah. And they're very happily married and their wives are love them. Yeah. Um, we're talking about people working together. We're talking about, and it's not, I know domestic abuse is very much gendered, but what we need to do is work together to have more control over the abuser, to make the abuser's life more difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tom. I agree. Yeah, 100%. If, if, if I as a man, if I as a man could make a woman's life easier, 
so be it. Yeah. Or make a, make an abuser's life more yeah. more difficult. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm all for making this life shit, really. Yeah, just stick them in a hole. Yeah, stick them in a cage. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if only you could chop heads off, but not allowed. Yeah. So obviously we talk about making women safer, and we and then we also talk about educating men more. Like, if there was if there was another step that you could add in there, like obviously education, educating men. I think with educating men. So I I used to work for um a dating agency. One of my jobs was to. I was mainly an admin guy, I'll be honest. I was mainly behind the scenes, but I got to see a lot of the coaching. And it was a lot of socially awkward men who, you know, hadn't had a girlfriend in like five years and were just video gamers or programmers. You know, those very kind of nerdy people where you're like, bless you, you just kind of need a girlfriend. You know what I mean? You need to get out there a bit more. And one of the things that we noticed was some men just don't have a clue how to speak to women. And I think... A lot of, like I mentioned before, the desperation when they, when they don't know how to do it, it causes them to, well, no, clearly no women like me. And it's like, you're putting the blame on the women. You're not focusing on yourself, yeah, right? Totally, you're, yeah. going, you're going, well, it's the woman's fault that they don't like me. It's like, no, it's not. It's because you don't wash. You don't know how to have a, <laughs> have a conversation. You haven't had a shave. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of men like to blame women for not finding them attractive. It's like, no, it's on you. Like, people will find you attractive. You just ha- know how, and you know how to speak to them. But a lot of men do that about absolutely everything in their life men love yeah. to blame, blame. <laughs> yeah i hate the word blame yeah because like everything in my life is my circumstances 100 percent on me it's responsibility at the end of the day i take responsibility and i find that very freeing yeah i'm responsible for me and therefore i will do the things that make my life better yeah. if you take that responsibility on you feel better but I do hear that word blame. I blame this. I blame that. I blame it. I'm like, like just look at yourself, man. Yeah. Take it. Have it. Work on it. You'll feel better for it. Yeah. Is it is it a pity party for one over there? Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you get three yeah. seconds. Yeah. Just feel sorry for yourself for like three seconds, and then go and do something like about on. it. Yeah. Go um, wash. But it's like, the, I I feel like. A lot of the men that I've, I've worked with in the past and I've talked to, because I've talked to a lot of what you would call like soft guys, where they're just like, I, you know, I just want to meet someone. I just want to be in a relationship. I want to experience that. But I don't know what, what to do. I don't know how to say it and stuff like that. Like, obviously, one of my f- things to say is that um, every every cocky guy thinks he can do two things. He thinks he can pick up a woman in a bar and win a fight. And it's only when he realizes he can do neither did he fully take the responsibility to change that? Yeah. So I think with a lot of men, it's just a case of, you know, there's books out there. There's, you know, if you want to read a book with alpha male in the title, that's fine. Just if it's, if it's anything to do with, you know, making women feel like shit, discard it. But yeah. if it's a case of, look, this is how, you know, male and female dynamics have worked through evolution for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. So clearly something, you know, clearly we can see what works and what doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think teaching men the right way to speak to women, to um, communicate. I think one of the things as well that men are afraid to say to women is sorry. And I've had this issue come up with a few people where, you know, it, specifically if we talk about nightclub scenarios or something like that, if you do something and you notice a woman sort of back up a bit or get a little bit of a fright, apologize. But I've seen a lot of guys who then push more forward because they don't want to admit that they were in the wrong because it makes them oh, look weak, quote unquote e- weak. And it's like, yeah, it is. But if you take that out and you go, oh, look, sorry, I, I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. Um, it's a lot more like, it's like, oh my God, finally a guy who understands. Like, yeah, he made a mistake, but he's not trying to. But that's because patriarchy have taught you that you're not allowed to be in the wrong. Yeah. 
But I would say um, I'd rather be kind than be right. So yeah. if I'm in a discussion with somebody and they are absolutely in the right, I'll go, well, that, that's, that's your opinion. That's yeah. I'd rather be kind than argue somebody down and make them feel like shit. Yeah, I'm, never, I'm not afraid to be a student and I'm not afraid to be told I'm wrong. Because if someone can prove me wrong, I'm like, you know what, I can't argue with that. I, I mean, I can. I can go, well, I heard this and I saw yeah. this. And it's like, well, yeah, but this but, is this is proof, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but isn't it better to learn? Yeah, 100%. It's 100%. And I think that's most men's problem is they're not. They, they think they barrel through everything, especially when it comes to their relationships, with brute force, with male aggression, and they don't take the time to understand yeah. male-female dynamics. Because the, the, there's loads of books out there. There's a, um, have you read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Have you read that book? I haven't, but I shall. No. So... There's another book by that, it was his first book, it was called Models, and it was about um, meeting his experience meeting women, and he basically lists all the things that are do's and all the things that are don'ts, and it's incredible, and it may, and there's the, the Way of the Superior Man by David Data, that's another one, sounds a bit up there, you know, The Way of the Superior Man, but it really goes into relationships, the masculine, the feminine and stuff, and I would really love for every man to just read those kind of books. And or just find a a healthy male role model mm-hmm. to learn from because yeah. I think that's most men's problem is especially now, you know, you've got more access to mentors and and you know we, higher up male roles. Haven't had it so good for being having access to mentors. Not for We've literally yeah. got everything in front of us now, and you can find somebody who's good, but you can equally find somebody who's not. Yeah. 100%. Well, it it's taken bits from everyone. Like, people say, like, like people like to look at things, especially on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, in 30-second clips and judge it in black and white. Yeah, sure. Right? And it's like... Take it, a lot of it gets taken out of context. Yeah, like, we, you can take... That. Like, this interview will be taken up and cut into 30-second clips. If someone has a problem with it, go and watch the full interview and find the full context. Absolutely. Because this entire talk has been full of context. It's been full of background, yeah. full of statistics. It's like... You can't, like, yeah, you can argue with a 30 second clip, but most people just want to be black and white. This is good, this is bad. But there's a lot of people I've watched. Um, I read a book years ago. It was like the the science of positivity or something, something along those lines. And it had really good stuff in it, but the guy was highly religious. So every five minutes it was God this, God that. Now, I'm not religious, I'm not against religion, but it, that didn't sit right with me because yeah. I'm not religious. But... That doesn't mean the book was bad. I took the good things and left that Absolutely. bit to one side. And that's yeah. what I think most people need to do is have a look at those people who are in those positions, those smart people who know what they're talking about. If you don't agree with it, have another look at it to see if it really sits right. If it doesn't, discard it. If it works, keep it. And yeah. I think that's that's one of the best things you can do as a guy. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Um, I see we're coming up to... We're, we're over an hour now. We're over an hour now. Um... I have so many. I had so many questions as well. Um, so I, I w- we'll end up on uh, this one because I know I really want to talk about this. Um, is toxic masculinity? Yeah. Right. Such a big topic. I'm sure everyone has uh, their opinions on it. So I've got here the uh, the apparently the ten biggest toxic masculinity uh, traits. Okay. Right. So I want to get your opinion on those. Uh, so the first one is being stoic, which is basically a person who can endure pain or hardship without showing their feelings or complaining. Is, would you say that is necessarily a toxic I, masculinity trait? It depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? Yeah. But also, why why would you? Why would you what? Why would you tolerate pain and 
not express well i think i think the idea behind that is just from from being a man is we kind of as men we enjoy those stereotypes in movies where there's you know a strong masculine leadership a character not all men but we like those sorts of characters you know those very much action heroes I, type women thing women do too women yeah. like that is it, is it the is it the is it the strong masculineness in them that you think women like or is it just the the fact that Bruce Willis can dive out of a window and survive. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a movie. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. If I you're know, punching I'm just glass, it's, your hand may go through, but it will be broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will really hurt. It's not as easy to <laughs> just elbow out a car window <laughs> yeah. as people may like. But I, th- I think be- being stoic in terms of... So so stoic really is... is one it's stiff up the lip thing. Yeah. This thing going back in time where men from the 50s were like, Everything to, I mean, the pressure of being a man in the 50s must have been horrendous, wasn't it? Mm. Your wife didn't work, your partner didn't work. You couldn't be gay, you weren't allowed. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't be trans, that wasn't allowed. Um, the pressure must have been horrendous. Yeah. Um, but being stoic, uh, if you're saving your kids from jungle fires, then yeah, but I think in men, general, yeah. day-to-day life, show your emotions like people said somebody said to me the other day men are never allowed to show their emotions excuse me men have been showing their emotions for years for millions of years as long as it's anger yeah as long as it's negative as long as it's i mean anger is a justifiable emotion Hmm. but men have been showing negative emotions quite freely for millennia now now let's say it's time to show the other side of things yeah i mean my my view on it is i'm quite out there i like to laugh a lot i have several different laughs that i picked up over the years no idea why i have several different laughs but i just i love to laugh and i love to joke and i love to you know i'm not afraid to have a deep conversation i don't shy away from those um but in terms of when i need to work um when i need to get something done or if there's a problem then it's a good time for me to be stoic because things shit needs to get done right and as a man you take a pride in that as well it's a very i would say masculine trait to go you know stiff back i can do this i've got this it's that that is a an element of stoicism where so you can, and i guess women have that level of masculinity in them yeah. as well because i do that i'm like oh, yeah. i don't want to do my tax return. but it's like something something that's this this that exists so much in in our society must have existed at some point in our evolutionary sure. cycle just to to yeah. go back to the brain and stuff so like men were designed i say designed we we lived in tribes we we were the hunters we you protected the tribes and stuff and we made sure stuff got done are you right? sure? well that's what evolution would say that we had that yeah, sort of women are written out of this story <laughs> women women in those sort of evolutionary things are more nurturing they were the that's ones that looked after people yeah men. yeah well it's not necessarily we've we haven't necessarily evolved past that in terms of the way we our nature is but in terms of the way society is, it's very much different now. Like we, like men, we don't need to go out and kill panthers. <laughs> we don't need, like I don't need to protect you, Ree. Tes- I don't need to, to yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to go out there and be like, Ree, you stay here because there's a lion outside that I need to go and kill. If I don't come back, you can, you know, you yeah. can live. Your life. The lion will kill you too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we don't need to do that now. But there's a very, there's a still an element in us of of that sort of caveman brain type thing uh, mixed with society as well. So I think being stoic, just to go back to it, is. I think it's important in some aspects, but in terms of, you know, between caveman and now, we can definitely say more of how we feel as men and yeah. don't shy away from conversations, you know, be more open to things. I think it's healthy. 
I think the selfish person. The problem person. that men have in terms of expressing themselves is the other men. Mm. Because a woman's never going to turn around, or very rarely would turn around and say, oh, you're such a softie, blah, blah, blah. That's a guy thing. Yeah, I think so. I think men, like, I've always said to my friends, like, if you have a problem, come see me. Yeah. And don't worry about it because I'm not going to judge you. And I like to put that a- a- across in, in every relationship I have, whether it's with a guy, whether it's with a girl. You have an issue, let's solve it. Let's talk about it. And I think that's a I think that's a very good trait to have. So, so being stoic, we're saying that's sometimes good. Yeah, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Okay, not necessary. Second one, being promiscuous, casual sex. Now, I don't necessarily see this one as toxic because I think women do it too. You know what I mean? I don't feel like there's anything wrong with casual sex, promiscuous sex. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, what what's what's your opinion on that? In terms of toxic, under the when, title of toxic when, when adults are having sex with other adults, consensually, it's got nothing to do with me. Yeah, I think that I don't think that one's toxic in any way. I think, no. I think if you were using it as a coping mechanism, yeah, that's a different thing. That's not necessarily example, yeah. toxic. That's it's just, just unhealthy. Yeah, it's, it's just unhealthy. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, and you have to know yourself. Yeah. So if you want to go and shag shag about and you're happy to do that, then. But for God's sake, men, use protection and don't be stupid. Women, everybody <laughs> use protection. HIV yeah. is very real. Yes, it is. And so, so is, are babies. So is that little gremlin. Do you remember the gremlin advert? Do you remember that? The um the chlamydia advert and it was this little green gremlin. Do you remember that? <laughs> I mean, I, see, oh, I, was I horrible. remember the AIDS adverts for crying out loud. Oh, I haven't seen that. We I, I haven't seen that. I bet they were horrible. <laughs> they but, were? Yeah. Tombstones and all kinds. Oh, all God. Going to die. Yeah, the little green gremlin thing. It was like chlamydia or something. And it's like two people in a hallway at a party kissing. And there's this little gremlin like watching them or something. <laughs> like, oh, it's like, my God. It was creepy. Uh, but it was like really bad uh, <laughs> CGI as well, which made it even worse. Um, championing heterosexuality as the unalterable norm. That can't be right, can it? So basically saying that heterosexuality is the, is the, is the norm. It's not the norm. It's the majority. And mm. like life does not spin. If you're talking about sexuality, heterosexuality is not at the core of the universe with everything else spinning around it. It's yeah. just not. It's not like that. So, I mean, if you look at like the old Roman texts and things like they had orgies everywhere. Like men had sex yeah, with their male course, slaves, yeah. and yeah, do you know what I mean? Course. It was just one of those things. Yeah. I think. I think in terms of this, um, if we were to, because I love relating things back to being cavemen and stuff and 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 humans as as mammals and stuff like that like i think being heterosexual is the evolution that is what helped the evolution because if 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 everyone was just gay the species wouldn't advance because everyone would just be wiped out because no one could have babies so in that respect i think that it's very much it needs to be a a majority for that to move for the species yes for the species in terms of how big we are now I think everyone could be gay for for quite a few years, and nothing and bad would happen. Bad would Do you know what I mean? So I think I think in terms of in terms of you know if you were going to be a scientist about it, yeah, heterosexuality needs to be there, um, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it needs to be a, a you know as big an issue. It doesn't need to be championed. That's yeah, sure. it doesn't need to be like oh yeah. I think that was the the big point was champion. It doesn't need to be like oh like gays are wrong and they're they're, no. they're freaks and Absolutely it's like that. Absolutely not. Man. Absolutely will not be hanging out with anybody who says things. Yeah. Like yeah, 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 exactly. Um, next one we've talked about being violent is well. I mean, yeah, I would say again, violence is never the the appropriate answer unless someone's attacking you. Totally, and that's self defense, which is yeah. something else, isn't it? Yeah, being being violent could be anything. 
really. Are you talking physical violence? It just, it just, the, the quote I was given was just violent. Well, because there's emotional violence, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just anything damaging to another human. Anything damaging, that's a big no. Yeah. But if you're defending yourself, then maybe. Yeah. So the next one's quite curious one, being dominant. It's about, if you're talking about consensual, mm-hmm. If anything's consensual, it's got nothing to do with anybody but yourself. Yeah. And the person that, or the people that you're consenting with, as long as they're adults. Yeah. And it's real consent. Yeah. Are we I talking about dominance done sexually or dominance just generally? Well, probably a bit of both, to be honest. But I yeah, think. But some people like to have a dominant partner, yeah. like the partner to take responsibility. You have to understand that my background is I'm um, what my friends call hyper independent, even though right. I'm married. Um, because of my childhood and everything that I've gone on, I am literally hyper-independent. Yeah. So if somebody comes into my life and tries to dominate me, that ain't going to happen. You're like, get out. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, go away. Yeah. Um, but some people like that. They like somebody else to take responsibility. Yeah. And if that's consensual, nobody Well, from the, from the research I've, I've done, it statistically says that the on average, women like, heterosexual straight women like, prefer a man to be more dominant than they are in a relationship in terms of being able to lead in terms of being able to you know solve things fix things do things uh you know as a protector provider Masculine kind of thing. dominance yeah in but in a healthy way so yeah. i don't think dominance in itself is women like a man to be a man otherwise you would be with a woman wouldn't you or, or yeah. whatever but you want a man to be a man. Yeah, and it, it, I got pulled Define on Facebook. Define man. Yeah, I got pulled. Yeah, I was just going to say, I got pulled on Facebook the other day. <laughs> just like he's like, yeah, he's, he's bald head, he's raw leather skin, calluses yeah, yeah. hand. Yeah, calluses on his hands. Yeah, I was yeah. pulled the other day on Facebook for, um, uh, I made a, I read a book, uh, it's called Dataclism, which shows the, the true lives. It's supposed to be like anonymous questionnaires and stuff like that that people have pulled. And one of the statistics I think was like, 28% of men in 2018 recorded having no sexual partners in the last year. Uh, and it was something like only 20% of men on Tinder get the right swipes. Um, and I said, if you're relying on dating apps solely to meet women and you're not going out there and learning how to communicate, um, you're going to get weaker as a man, mm-hmm. was basically what I said. Very bold statement, right? And some uh, woman pulled me up about um, using the term weak men, right? And I stopped and thought, and I thought, is that the right way to phrase it and I thought well if you were a woman on the outside and you were looking in at a man who couldn't communicate who was very scared afraid who wasn't willing to put himself out there you would call him a little bit you know of a of a weaker man you wouldn't necessarily say he's a piece of shit we're not going down that route but you would say you know you need to step up a little bit mate you know what I mean like would you would you agree with that or would you counteract that in any way I'd have to think about it yeah fair enough um, because it was just, I was just thinking like, if you, uh, like the certain traits that make a man more masculine, right? That make him more attractive in his masculine, I should say. Right. And one of those is definitely being able to put himself out there a little bit and to be able to stand up for himself. I do think there's a, a, a an idea in people's heads that they don't have to make much effort. Yeah. Very lazy. Lazy. Is that, yeah. are we allowed to say lazy people? Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to have a happy life and you want to have an interesting time, you've got to be doing stuff. Yeah. Sitting in front of the telly yeah. is not classified as doing stuff. 
in my yeah. opinion. That's not no. It's it's you so easy. It's so easy to, to do to that people. now. Yeah. But like you know, what do you want? Do you want an easy life or do you want a good life? Yeah. It's very true. I don't have to choose, but I'm not hanging out with anybody who's easy. Very true. I think there's a there's a quote that's like um, good times create. Was it good times create weak men? Weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. And then strong men create good times. Then it kind of goes in the cycle. cycle. I would kind of, I kind yeah, of see where they're going. I can, with that, yeah, I can understand. A good that. cycle, yeah. Um, the next one is obviously we've talked about this loads, so we can skip over. But it's sexual aggression towards women. You mentioned in consensual. in your speech, yeah. As long as it's consensual, it's fine. But sexual aggression, we spoke about this at your speech, I believe. It was the the porn side of it. Porn. Like every porn you watch is porn messes with you. Stop watching porn, guys. But it's just that aggressive sort of like physicality it's 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 yeah. almost like you know it's bordering on you know well it's just horrible it's, it's, it's just vile horrible. yeah it's not it's just abusive isn't yeah it? it is and if that's what you're watching as a teenager you think that's normal like real sex with real people does not look like no, that. no it doesn't and if you wanted to look like that go and see a therapist <laughs> before yeah. you actually rip somebody's arsehole yeah basically because you go and speak to anybody in A&E who's working in A&E and, you know, they see a lot of ripped bottoms these yeah. days. I bet it's, I bet that's a horrible thing. To come oh, in yeah. I can't imagine that feels nice either. Not pleasurable. No. Isn't sex supposed to be pleasurable? It's supposed to be, yeah, not painful. But some people like the pain. Some so, people like yeah, the some pain, people do, but, like, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's, that's just bad. Like, hurting somebody to that level is yeah. bad. Yeah. And dangerous. And this whole like strangling thing that they're talking about is it's just dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Unless it's consensual and you find with it, and there's a safe word. I believe safe words are quite handy yeah. and so like yeah. But yeah, so next one is not displaying emotions. We talked about this. Um, as a, as a man, I believe there's a time and a place. I think you have to be careful around children. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, because yeah. you can traumatize your children by being really upset. Like, yeah. I would never cry in front of my children when they were small and they've grown up now but um i would not traumatize my children in that way well gr- growing up the only time i ever saw my dad cry was when his mom died and, and i was like that is a hundred percent like i could like there's no totally, way could, yeah, yeah that's totally okay that was the only time i ever saw my dad cry so um but yeah i think not to display display emotion but I, I genuinely believe there's a there's a time and a place not to just as a man you can't just go throwing your emotions around and and go following every emotional route that you go down because you end up a little bit of a mess when you do that and i think displaying emotions if you tell a man display your emotions they go they might go down the route of oh well i can display them all the time and it's like no you can't because you're going to end up like can i sit at work and yeah. display your emotions i'm not happy with my work so i'm just going to kick off yeah you can't yeah. do that yeah yeah, I agree. I think there's a there's a time and a place, and especially when it comes to solving problems, because like obviously, when I say women are more emotional, men are more logic. That tends to be the average I, thing. Um, going back to the police job, um, I I remember you go to some horrific incidents, and I can can you imagine the policeman actually getting upset in front of people at the yeah. incident? Yeah. Oh, no. No, yeah. afterwards, maybe yeah. we would would drive away from somewhere, just park the car up, and I've had colleagues, male colleagues, just lose it in the car because what we've seen is horrendous. Yeah, well, that's fair and enough. And that's though. allowed, and that's totally a release, but not in front of the people that you're there in that role to look after. Yeah, 
do it afterwards. And I've seen that. I think that's all, I think that's the best example. Privilege, yeah. actually, yeah. a privilege that they would allow me to be there as they, you know, like release that emotion. That yeah. Was, that a few times that happened. I agree. Yeah, hundred um, percent. The next one is not being a feminist ally. Again, something you mentioned as well. I think we've been through all these toxic traits, but if, if you're not a feminist, then you're not my friend. You know, feminism is not about creating barriers for men it's about removing barriers for others yeah it's putting things on an equal footing and that's what feminism is yeah. and if you can't get your head around that just go and read a book about it or something yeah my, my my only problem with that is like we get a lot of these you know are you on tiktok and instagram and stuff like that i'm on instagram yeah but i don't understand tiktok yeah that's fine but you get a lot of um because everything's so black and white nowadays it's very hard to filter out what's true and what's not so you get a lot of these women who are at the end of the day men haters they don't agree with things men do and that's, that's but they they disguise it as hashtag feminism and, and hating men is not feminism hate that that is not gonna help the feminist holding men accountable is feminism yeah, but yeah. that's also what men should be doing as well anyway. so yeah exactly so i agree with men should be a feminist ally 100 percent. but just you don't have to agree with these radical sort of because it's misandry isn't it it's like misogyny yeah. on the other side it's yeah. misandry yeah if you're abusive towards men it's still abuse yeah, hundred percent agree there. At risk taken. Now this is an interesting one because if you don't take risks, nothing gets done. You don't meet, try new things. You don't, you know, you don't get new experiences. You don't. As long as you're only risking yeah. yourself. Yeah, as long as you're not putting yeah, you're not putting anyone else on the yeah, firing line. I'm yeah, a bit, I'd be a risk taker. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so I don't, I don't agree with that one. I think. For for risk taking, I mean, do I wonder if they mean by, uh, you know, being dangerous, possibly. I mean, you've seen those videos online of me- why men don't live as long as women, and it's like two men holding balancing <laughs> a ladder. Because they watch science two- programs and then try and realize yeah, yeah. in the house. It's yeah. like I wonder what happens if I put a fork <laughs> in a toaster. Or, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I probably shouldn't oh, do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, I think I think risk taking as a man has, has led to a lot of good things. So I don't agree with that as a. I think risk taking in general, even for women, I think that's a good thing. Um, as and, long as and it's there's, not like this levels. Yeah. One person's risk may not be another person's risk. We um, I used to do some training, multi agency training years ago. And we talked about risk factors, which is what essentially the, the high, you know, the high risk, risk risk factors we were talking about yeah. earlier. And one of the uh, the icebreakers would use was, um, what is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Yeah. And like some people jump out of airplanes. Um, Tried that. One woman came from a war torn country and had been dodging dodging bullets in the night. Yeah. That was pretty scary. Um, one person went back to uni. That was mm. a high risk for him. Yeah. So everybody's risk. It's also perception a, yeah. is is different it's a very individual thing yeah and our, our last one to round up on is not engaging in household chores and caregiving <laughs> yes i would agree if you're a guy and you don't help out if you don't clean the house or do dishes or care about your partner or your kids yeah it is it's not healthy it's um it's not actually i wouldn't call it helping in the house i would call it just being alive and doing the things that <laughs> being you clean. should yeah. do anyway and you're not going to get a fucking star chart for it yeah but if you're not cleaning the toilet and putting stuff in your dishwasher or whatever what's the point of you yeah you know yeah you're, you're, there's a massive gap um gender yeah. gap in terms of care and 
and stuff like that. Now, Huge. When it used to be a societal norm for women to stay at home and, and, you know, do all that stuff, men didn't have to do that. But now it's not the case. Now you have to pull your weight in the house as well. It's... A, it's 100% like I, I'm pretty bad for because I shave both my head and my beard. I'm quite bad for leaving a few hairs around the sink. Don't do that. And That's the first, horrible. I know, it's really bad. It's That's toxically horrible. masculine. <laughs> <laughs> I would kick off. Yeah. Yeah. We have separate bathrooms at home. That's a good idea. That's <laughs> a good idea. It's got a bald head as well. I might, I might have to, I might have like, to look at it. Get out of my bathroom. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Not everybody's got that though. So, you know, clean up after yourself. It's like a basic thing. Yeah. Um, clean up with your kids, with your kids. Yes, I, teach like them I said, how to do I, I mean, I was a single mum. I'm married now, but I was a single mum for a very long time. Yeah, we were a team. Yeah, we did things together. Nobody, nobody chilled out until everybody chilled out. And mm, if that's like how that. you are, like if there's stuff still to be done, nobody should be sitting down. You help each other out until it's all done, and then you can all yeah. sit down and have fun. Agreed, a hundred percent, hundred percent. If you're gaming, if you were one of these guys, I'm gonna have a little go. Right? <laughs> oh no, I'm a gamer. I'm a gamer. <laughs> Where is this going? If you've got a partner with tiny children and your partner's frazzled and you're playing on the PlayStation, mm, mm, mm. you are destined to lose your family. Yeah. Family you're comes first. You're lose your family, man, because if you're not providing, if you're not um, supporting, not just the actual chores and the kids, and but the emotional side as yes. well, you're going to lose your family and you're going to be one of those sad, geeky guys that you were talking about earlier. Yep. Who's got? I don't understand why I haven't got a girlfriend. It's because, well, because you don't your ex-wife wash. Wife says yeah. this, and we believe her. Yeah, I I went to college with a load of um, geeky World of Warcraft nerds. It was just the class I was in, and uh, it was just the long hair, same T-shirt three days a week, no. sweat patches, smelly. Uh, why is that okay? It's not. <laughs> it's think, not. Why does anybody think that that's okay? Because they're not told otherwise. Because they're in the little bubble of that's why what. Do you not, right. Right. I I have friend. She I love her. She came to my house. My marriage broke down at the same time as her marriage broke down. She came to my house. I've got a property and and uh, she came to the door and I was like, she's like, oh, I need to talk. And I went, you better get yourself up the fucking stairs, wash your face, put some makeup on, and then we'll talk. Mm. Because you tell your friends that. Yeah. I'm my. My friends say to me, oh, I accept you for who you are. I'm like, bullshit, don't accept me for who <laughs> I am. Try and help me be better. Yeah, you're the, if you can't... You are my yeah. safety net to help me grow as a person. And I am not going to let you down. I'm always going to have you back. Yeah. If you can't tell your friends that they're doing something wrong or they're messed up or that they need Just you to... tell them. Yeah, tell them straight. smell, then yeah. get upstairs, shower. Yeah, I tell my, my best friend, Jack, I love him, but sometimes he smells. And uh, he comes over at my house, I'm like throwing Lynx Africa at him. I'm like, mate, give that a spray before you sit anywhere Just go in my house. Just go out do that. <laughs> yeah. Boys, you need to wash, shower at least once a day. Yeah. Agreed. Also, that little box in the bathroom, that's where your dirty clothes go. Don't go on the floor. Okay. They don't go on the spare chair. The toilet roll. Like, we have a thing with the toilet roll. Oh, God. It's like, right, is it disrespectful to leave the empty loo roll tube behind? Yes. And not put it in the recycling? Yes, is it, it is. Yes, it is. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. This is, I'm not going to do that. If you're not going to put that in, I'm not going to do it either. So we make, we make structures with loo roll tubes. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Battersea power station is really easy to make. <laughs> South East North Orient, another hospital in Cramlington. Yeah. It just looks like toilet roll tubes, doesn't it? <laughs> so that we've had that. We've had an octopus. 
Incredible. Yeah. You're going to have to show me pictures of these. Yeah, at the minute, it's obviously, it's a Christmas tree on the windowsill. Oh, it's excellent. just like it's five, four, three, two, one. So it's a Christmas tree. Incredible. And, like, and then eventually somebody will go, oh, look, well, I'll just put it in. The, but I am not going to take one tube and put it in the recycling. Yeah. I didn't. If I used it, then fair enough. But if I didn't, I'm not going to do that for somebody else. I need to teach my son. Like, this is what we do. So we make well, models from two toilet Amazing. tubes. I love that. I love it. Okay, Re, this has been incredible conversation Thank i've loved much. having you on this is probably because I, I had way more questions but we're out of time yeah. so i'll have to get you back on as well will we'll you come, come do come will you come do this again of course and, I will, I, yeah, and our freezing cool little office up here it's, it's nice and warm I'm sat next yeah you're next to the, the heater as well i was gonna say <laughs> i was like i put the always put the heater next to the guest when you have a podcast over so Rhea, i want to ask you what what's next for you will we see another book is there more stories we'll for you to tell another book yeah have you got one in the pipeline or i have yeah Excellent. i've got one about the other end is this the one the be kind no excuses is about preventing at the beginning Mm -hmm. but if you're already in that process and coming out of a traumatic relationship it's about the things that people do to you when they continue to abuse you after your relationship has finished excellent can i get a first copy of that book you're gonna have to sign this as well now that you're here because i have a book i'm gonna hold this up to the cameras as well if you're watching this on uh, youtube i have Ree's book right here. I bought it. Uh, where can people find this? It's on well? Amazon uh, or um, my website's reepearson.com. But yeah. it's on Amazon. So. And where's the best place for people to contact you as well? Um, if you go on reepearson.com, you can find my links to social media on there. Incredible. Incredible. Ree, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, if you enjoyed this, please give Ree a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, check out her website as well. And be sure to buy the book, Be Kind, No Excuses. And also, if you enjoyed this, please give it a five star review. Uh, on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening. And I will see you all in the next episode. Re, thank you once again for being on. Brilliant. Thank you, Adam.